Blog Talk Radio. At first I was afraid, I was petrified, kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights thinking how oh, you did me wrong, and I grew strong, and I learned how to get along and so you're back. Yvonne Mason, and yes, we have changed our time to 9 o'clock Eastern Time because it gives folks more time to get home, get their families fed, and tune in with us. I am seeing an uptick in live listens, which makes me very, very happy. 
I want to welcome each and every one of you to the show tonight. And during the song, if you heard a barking in the background, it was my little Maltese who was protecting me from unknown entities. I don't know what it was, but he heard something that I didn't hear, which he does quite often. And he lets me know about it. So I apologize for that. As you all know, you are the reason that the show continues to grow. We are heading into our third year. I cannot believe it has been three years since we started this show. We've had numerous authors and musicians and politicians, people with a platform, people with a cause, people with a passion. We've had painters. You name it, we've had it on this show. We've debated, we've talked, we've laughed, we've cried, we've heard music, we've heard excerpts from books. We bring people back because it's not my show. It's your show. It's you, the listener. It's you, the guest. It's it's all of you who have made this show the success that it is in spite of my life being turned upside down. Y'all have continued to be loyal and y'all have continued to listen and send this show out to others. And for that, I want to thank you. For those of you who do not know, we are heard in over 200 countries and we are up to over 250,000 listeners between this show and all the podcasts this show goes up on. It is now heard on Reverb Nation, iTunes, YouTube, FM.com, TuneIn Radio, Podcast.com, Podcast Garden, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and two podcasts on iHeartRadio, which you can hear in your car if you have Sirius Radio. You can also hear Stitcher if you have Sirius Radio. What they are doing now is there is Pandora is offering podcasts. I have sent this this show in as a podcast on Pandora to see if they will accept it and run it on Pandora. So things are looking up, ladies and gentlemen. It just it amazes me the things that are happening on this show. And with that being said, I want to welcome, oh, there's two ways you can get on the show. You can come on as a guest, as most of you know. And if you're kind of leery about coming on as a guest because you think I will eat you alive, I only do that on fun days and <laughs> normally it's not one of those days. So you can come on the show as a guest or you can become a sponsor for the show. And, and the idea is for me not to get rich off of you because I just want you to get the exposure but for $10 for 30 days, no matter how many shows I run in that month, I will run your ad, whether it's an MP3 or whether I read it, I will run your ad. And if for some reason I have to reschedule the show because I have to go out of town or something happens, your ad goes with the next show. It does not get canceled. Contact me at offthechainradio at yahoo.com and let me know if you want to join the fun. We're always looking for new sponsors. We have a new one tonight. It's called Dirt Road Sunset. These guys were on my show right before Christmas. They sing absolutely marvelous music. They are literally from the mountains of Pennsylvania. They have songs available to purchase on iTunes, Reverb Nation, Amazon, CD Baby, and all proceeds from their sales goes to support breast, breast cancer, Children's Hospital, Disabled American Veterans, and CERT, Training of Canine Search and Rescue and Service Dogs. The 
men in the band have been lifelong friends for over 40 years. Their names are George, Sandy, Dave, and Ed. And again, they're called Dirt Road Sunset. Check them out because they are absolutely amazing. Now, most of you know Diane Moat. She's been on this show several times. And because of the show, her Sam Holden series went number one in Australia last year. But she released a, the third in the series called Dog Bones. And Sam Holden, who is our favorite vigilante, in this book, it's her quest to avenge abused animals is threatened when the FBI comes after her on one side and the commissioner wants her dead on the other. Will her double life be exposed? Will she be able to protect her animals, her friends, and herself? Check out Dog Bones by Diane Mode everywhere ebooks are sold. Check her out on Amazon. J. Traveler Pelton. Some of you may know her because she also has been on this show. In December, she released another book in the Oberlin Family series. It's called The Importance of Family, and it came out at the end of December. She is back with all the political intrigue, hard science fiction, and adventure that her friends, fans have come to expect. In book eight of the Generations of the Oberlin Family Chronicles, Noah, Violet, Kaz, Daniel, Jasmine, Scott, Gabriel, Katrana, and their families chase through the world, pitting their family resources, intellect, and espionage network against the protective domes over all their safe houses and laboratories. They are labeled traitors, and the military is sent to take them into custody. As the planet's plant life dies from the sickened water, the mutants, mutations spread throughout the animal kingdom. The Oberlins are made the scapegoats for all the world's problems. You know, somebody, you got always have to have a scapegoat. When Micah and Alexander are kidnapped, Noel has to call in help from the all-worldwide family to bring them home. As the family worldwide retreat to the domes, they wonder if they will hold through military bombardment. Will the Earth survive or has the destruction of the environment and the population plummet gone too far to recover? Will only the people of the dome make it to the next millennium? This book and all of Traveler's books are available on Amazon. Just type in J. Traveler Pelton. You will be taken to her page. Have a look, then download, and enjoy it on all those cold, dark, and long winter afternoons when you just want to stay in. And from what I'm gathering from the Weather Channel, you guys in the north are fixing to get slammed. So now's a good time to download Traveler Pelton's books. Don't forget to leave us a review on Amazon. They're always appreciated. You can also visit Traveler on our webpage, travelerpelton.com. And with that being said, our guest tonight has been on the show several times. The woman is amazing. I just stand in awe of her. I cannot get enough of, of her knowledge and her wisdom because she truly, truly, truly is just bigger than life. Author Stephanie Osborne, and few can claim her varied background, the interstellar woman of mystery. She's a veteran of more than 20 years in the civilian space program, as well as various military space defense program programs. I can't talk tonight. Stephanie worked on numerous space shuttle flights in the International Space Station counting, and counts the training of astronauts on her resume. Her space experience also includes space lab and ISS operations, variable star astrophysics, Martian alien geophysics, radiation physics, and nuclear, biological, and chemical weapon effects. She holds graduate and undergraduate degrees in four sciences. Now, to me, one science would take me until I die. Astronomy, 
physics, chemistry, and mathematics, and she is fluent in several more, including geology and anatomy, and not anatomy, anatomy. I can't talk tonight. In addition, she possesses a license of ministry. I guess she got bored. I don't know. Has been a duly sworn certified police officer and is a National Weather Service certified storm spotter. And ladies and gentlemen, that really helps me when we have our rainy season because you get all the hype from the news about the hurricanes and where they are and what they're doing. Stephanie is very clinical. She doesn't dramatize it to get ratings on the the TV. She gives it to me like it is. And that was very, very helpful when my husband was alive. And it helped me determine if I was going to take him to Atlanta or not, because his medical equipment was all on electrical. So Stephanie has no idea how I devoured her updates about hurricanes, because when she started giving out certain numbers, I said, we're out of here, we're gone. I was already packed. I threw the dog. I threw him in the car. I threw his medical equipment in the car, and we were out of here, and we weren't too late. Her travels have taken her to the top of Pikes Peak, across the world's highest suspension bridge, down gold mines in the footsteps of dinosaurs through groves of giant sequoias, even to the volcanoes of the Cascade Range in the Pacific Northwest, where she was present for several theatric eruptions of Mount St. Helens. Now she's retired from space work. Gee, with all that, I'd be too tired to do anything else. So she decided that she would train her sights on writing. She has authored, co-authored, and contributed to more than 30 books now, including the celebrated science fiction mystery burnout, the mystery of space shuttles, STS-281. If you have not read that book, I highly recommend it. She is the co-author of the Crispian, and I can't pronounce that word, saga book series and currently writes the critically acclaimed Displaced Detective series described as Sherlock Holmes meets the X-Files. Pulp best-selling prequel series, Gentleman Aguias. She released the paranormal horror novella El Vengador based on a true story in a in 2013 as an e-book and I don't think we've ever talked about that book so we're going to talk about that book as well as her division one series her painting series her poetry her shorts you know I mean there's just so much welcome my friend I am so glad you're with me thank you hon and thank you for having me back it, it, it's going to take more than an hour just to get through the Division One series. <laughs> well, uh, book, let's see, what is it, book nine just released this week. Wow, so, so we're launching your book here. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So let's it, talk about, let's talk about Division One and how you got to book nine. Okay. Uh, and you're gonna have you're gonna probably hear my cat talking in the background. So, okay. Elrond half Siamese gets chatty from time to time, and being <laughs> half Siamese, he has a that that loud Siamese voice. So <laughs> that's quite all right. <laughs> we'll get a duo going here. <laughs> yeah, really. Okay, uh, the Division One series. Uh, it, I mean, you know, it it actually is based on some stories I wrote a couple of decades ago, and really, you know, it's kind of like, okay, this was a lot of fun, but what the heck do I do with it? 
so I shelved it. You know, I shoved everything in a drawer. And then a couple years back, a friend said, you know, you need to do something a little bit different. Have you got anything lying around that you can just polish up and turn into, you know, a, a, a novel? And I said, well, i got these old stories. I wonder if I can do something with that. Well, to give you an idea of how old they were, I had them backed up on floppies and zip disks. How in the world did you get them transferred over? Because you it, can't it do was, floppies anymore. It, it was difficult. But my husband, um, his his day job is a graphics designer for an engineering firm here in Huntsville, Alabama. And that that engineering firm has been around... Oh, um, you know, I'm not really sure. I know it's been something like 50 years or better. Wow. So they've got everything all the way back to paper drawings that they have to keep archived because you never know when something is going to come up and you're going to need to reference a historical, you know, Mm -hmm. something or other. And so they actually keep um, things like, floppy drives that plug into the USB port on your modern computer. Whoa. Yeah, so knowing that those were out there, we got the appropriate drive, plugged them in, ported them over. So um, so that's how we did it. Uh, and then, but, but not one of them was novel length. None of the stories were novel length. And I, I had about eight. Um, and so I sat down and I looked at him and I was like, whoa, not only was I a really, really, really bad writer back then, not, not in terms of the storytelling, but just in terms of just the style, you know, the, the writing style, it, it really sucked. So I sat down and the first thing I did was, was to fix all that. And then I was like, okay, this is like very long short story or a very short novelette. Um, and so I just started brainstorming. And so the first story eventually became Alpha and Omega, book one in the Division One series. And the concept is this is my take on the urban legend of the guys in the dark suits that show up at the UFO encounters and the alien abductions and make all the evidence go away. <laughs> And so, you know, it's it's my take on it. It has been compared to certain movies, but that's because we're using the same urban legend material. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I took mine in a completely different direction because I I wind up uh, you you see all of this through the eyes of Dr. Megan McAllister, who is an at, or who was an astronaut who happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when they go to use their their brain bleacher on her to make her forget that she ever saw anything, it doesn't work, which has actually, to their knowledge, never happened before. Uh-oh. Yeah. So the way, the way I'm, I'm playing it is that Earth is, semi sort of unbeknownst to most people on earth part of the pan galactic coalition the galactic government and the 
Pan-Galactic Law Enforcement and Immigration Agency, or PGLEIA, is the, the galactic police force, if you will. Now, there's, there's, you know, each planet has its own individual police. If it is something that takes place by the indigenous people of that planet against the indigenous people of that planet, it's their own responsibility. But if there are off-worlders involved, if it takes place between planets, etc., then PGLEIA comes into play. Well, the galaxy is a really, really big place. So they decided that the best way to handle it was to divide it up into sections, precincts, if you will, each one of which is called a division. Earth happens to be in Division One, hence the name of the series, Division One. So, um, you know, I've I've had just an immensely good time writing in this in this series, and. Um, you know, like I said, the original batch of stories that I had from a, several decades ago was only about eight stories, and none of them that long. Um, anywhere from 20 to maybe 35,000 words. When your typical science fiction novel runs 80 to 100 and mm-hmm. say 120-ish thousand words. Um, so. I had a lot of beefing up that I had to do, a lot of brainstorming coming up with with subplots and subtexts and, and you know, sideline side adventures and things like that. And then, and then I had uh, the idea to write a short story that I could use to promote the series. Well, so I got into this short story, and all at once it started growing and growing and growing. <laughs> it, it became book two of the series which is called a small medium at large. Um, and, and it's, you know, so it, 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 it grew all on its own out of nothingness, as it were. Um, and so then I've, I've, I've hit, I'm currently working on the last story, beefing out and, and expanding on the last story idea I had. And it actually wasn't a complete story. It was just a few snippets of things that I had I had written down, a few scenes here and there. Uh, sort of kind of halfway knew where I wanted it to go. Um, but it was maybe 10,000 words. So, you know, nowhere close to a complete story. So that's actually what I'm working on right now. And that will be book 10. And it will wow. be called Break, Break, Houston. So the, the the books in order are Alpha and Omega, A Small Medium at Large, A Very Unconventional Christmas, Tour de Force, Trojan Horse, Texas Rangers, Definition and Alignment, Phantoms, Head The Head Games just came out this week. And you're working on the 10th one. And I'm working on the 10th one now, yes. Now, the question I have is, are you going to do a spinoff and throw Alpha and Omega into another division? Oh, they actually, uh, there, there is space travel involved. They do occasionally go to, uh, to other places in the galaxy, yes. Um, but it, it actually, I, I kind of delay that a little bit because 
one of the one of the sources of angst. Basically, Dr. McAllister gets sucked into the agency. The agency being the the euphemism for the Division One branch on Earth, um, because they can't make her forget. So they can't risk having her out there running around with this knowledge in her head of what happened. Uh, so she gets sucked into the agency, and she becomes Agent Omega. And she winds up working with experienced Agent Echo, who becomes her partner after he trains her. And together they found a brand-new department in the division called Alpha Line. And Alpha Line is somewhere between a SWAT team and Texas Rangers. <laughs> um, they're, they're the special forces units uh, when something really, really bad is going down, like uh, you have an alien assassin or an alien terrorist on Earth. Um, and would it be not, fair to would it be fair to say that sometimes they slightly cross the line? What do you mean by cross the line? When they're out doing their thing, you know, there's rules and regs and everything. Oh, they have rules and regs. But do they cross the line where those rules and regs come from? Uh, and other, they don't always follow the rules, is what I'm saying. Well, actually, they do. Ah. Yeah, the, I, the, this is a police force. I mean, if, if they don't follow the rules and regs, they're in trouble. And, and they, they any, anything from uh, being tried and convicted and imprisoned to being tried and convicted and brain bleached and ejected from the organization uh, is, is an option if they're not, if, if they don't follow the rules. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like in the first book, Echo is, is in a pitched battle with an alien assassin, and he, he gets an opportunity to draw down on the guy when his back is turned, and he doesn't know Echo's even there yet. And Echo's like, oh, can't shoot the guy in the back. This would be really, really good because he's already killed a whole bunch of people with that bomb he planted, but can't do it. Got to do it the hard way, you know. So, so yes, the, the, there, there are rules and regs, and they have to follow them. And sometimes that unduly complicates things. So, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, gets, it gets interesting. I also, I, I do try my dead-level best to interject a, a healthy dose of humor into the writing, uh, as, as you might be able to tell from some of the book titles. A uh-huh. small medium at large is, is a pun because the, uh, the, the perp in that particular story is an alien gray, and I play them as shorter than humans and with certain mental abilities. So you have, she, she is there to contact um, one of her ancestors who died on Earth, uh, presumably about a century before, because she wants to find a gizmo that, that he and his family purportedly brought to Earth. So she's short, so she's small relative to humans. She's a medium because she's trying to contact a dead person, and she's running around on Earth when she's not supposed to be, so she 
the perp at large, but she has a small medium at large. That is too cute. I love it. You know, your, your your sense of humor is just amazing. And I well, just it, it I, can be a little warped at times. <laughs> <laughs> well, honey, you have to be to be able to have accomplished all you've accomplished. I mean, for crying out loud. And I just noticed I'm looking at your website and, and I'm gonna read something. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Kiss Your Ass Goodbye, the Yellowstone Super Volcano ebook hit the number one new release in the earthquakes and volcanoes and seismology categories. It hit number three overall in earthquakes and volcanoes and number nine in seismology. I didn't even know that book was out. Yeah, um, uh, in in recent years, I've taken to writing about one popular science ebook a year, and this this year, this past year, uh, 2018, it was uh, it was an ebook based on the Yellowstone supervolcano. I get I, I go to science fiction conventions and stuff, and people know my background. They know I'm a scientist. They know I've done all this stuff, and so they want to ask me questions. And a lot of times the conventions, certain of the conventions that where I'm a regular, they'll come back to me and say, Steph, would you mind putting together a presentation on this topic? Everybody's really, really interested in it, and we love to ha- have your take on it. Because they know, you know, I'm going to give them, I'm, I'm not going to to sugarcoat anything. I'm not going right. to, to go off on a political bent. I'm not going to go go off on, well, this is the way I think it should be, or this is, you know. I'm going to give them the scientific facts, and I'm going to say, okay, this has come up, this is being considered, but right now the consent, the scientific consensus leans in this direction. However, it may change. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So in in fact I had to do that on on this particular uh, this particular ebook because there's there is a small contingent of geologists who believe that um the Yellowstone supervolcano the 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 majority of geologists insofar as I can tell uh, think that the supervolcano is being fed by what is called a mantle plume, which basically it's it is extremely hot molten material that moves up from the depth, the bottom of the mantle. You know, you got the core, the mantle, and the crust. Mm-hmm. The bottom of the mantle, down near the core, moves up through uh, the mantle as a result of convection because we know hot fluid rises. Um, and hits the crust and punches through. There is a there is a subset of geologists that are now looking into the possibility that the Farallon Plate, which used to be the Pacific Floor Plate, um, which has almost completely subducted under the North American Plate, may be the source of part of the magma that fuels the Yellowstone supervolcano. I have a problem with that uh, just on the scientific basis because looking at the data, they've got the plume tracked. They can the, the plume runs from the Yellowstone caldera in, uh, in the corner of, of Wyoming State 
down on the diagonal all the way to the bottom of the uh, mantle and running at an angle, and the bottom of it of the plume is underneath the U.S.-Mexico border near San Diego. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So and and they they can they can Im- well image is a bad word. They can they can follow the heated material of the plume. So they can tell you, okay, here's where it is under the crater. Here's where it hits the the core mantle boundary. And here is this huge column of hot magma that is so many hundreds of miles in diameter, you know. And and so I'm kind of like, okay. And so the Farall- the majority of what's left of the Farallon Plate is under the East Coast. How does this connect with anything? Make you know, so, so you know. So I, I look at it from a scientific perspective, and I throw out, okay, look, guys, here's this 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 concept of the Farallon plate in the in the geophysics, but here's why here is here are my logical reactions to that. Here is the science. Here is why I think that you know. I could be wrong, but right now it looks like most of the evidence is leaning this way. It looks like most of the geologists are leaning this way. I'll keep an eye on this, and I'll update the book if, with a new edition if anything comes of it. You know, well, so that, that being said, in, in my mind's eye, I think I see it right, with the data that you have, would it be safe to say that's one of the reasons that one of these Days California is going to fall off in the ocean and be an island because of that fault. No, because the the fault, the San Andreas fault, is the principal uh, fault that you're you would reference here. The San Andreas fault is what's known as a strike slip fault. It it is the plate boundary between the current Pacific Ocean and the the North American plate. So the Pacific Ocean. The floor of the Pacific Ocean is its own plate, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that the way that's going, a strike-slip fault has pretty much horizontal motions. So relative, so the Pacific plate and the North American plate, relative to each other, the, the Pacific plate is slipping slightly to the northwest. So it's a horizontal motion. They're slipping past each other. The Farallon plate, the only thing left of the Farallon plate are a couple of bits um, up in, have you ever heard of what's called the Cascadia subduction zone? Uh-uh. Okay, the Cascadia subduction zone, subduction is when one plate gets forced down underneath another plate. It usually winds up largely melting. Um, it might, It might kind of you might have a little bit of a residue wind up in a glob buried down in the mantle someplace. Um, So what happened was as the North American plate moved westward after the breakup of the last uh, supercontinent, it overran the Farallon plate. And the Farallon plate subducted down underneath it. 
and has now almost completely subducted. There's a little bit of a residue, like I said. It's a few globs down under the east coast, buried that way down deep in the mantle. That's all that's left of it, except for a few little broken pieces along what's called the subduction zone, the area where it was was being over overridden, um, just off the west, the northwest Pacific Northwest coast, um, and that is the reason why the Pacific Northwest is in so much danger of a mega tsunami like happened on Boxing Day a couple years ago in in uh, Indonesia, um, the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost exactly the same kind of geological setup for for the plate boundaries and everything. There's also a few bits and pieces left of the Pacific Plate down in, in a very similar arrangement off uh, the west coast of South America. There's only a few bits that just, just crumbs left of the Farallon Plate. The Farallon Plate was moving east. The North American Plate was moving west. The North American Plate was lighter. The rocks in it were lighter than those in the Farallon Plate, it rode up over it. The Pacific Plate is not moving in the same direction that the Farallon Plate was, which is why down further south, you, in California, you get you get the, the strike-slip fault of the San Andreas. So, you know, basically, uh, western southwestern California is on a different plate than the rest of California. I did not know that. It is. It is. And so eventually, um, in in a few few million years, um, Los Angeles is going to be a suburb of San Francisco. That I can understand. Because <laughs> well, it's just going to readjust itself. Yeah, it's just it, that that whole that whole section, that sliver of California there. Um, is west of the of the San Andreas is gradually sliding northward up the coast. I suppose if it goes far enough, then yes, it will become an island, but it's not going to fall off into the ocean. It's not that kind of a fault. This is so interesting. How the <laughs> how the Earth creates its own ebb and flow and and people don't think they think of water doing ebb and flow but they don't think of earth doing ebb and flow because the earth is quote unquote solid but what most people don't realize is underneath the crust there's a whole lot of ebb and flow because it's not solid exactly exactly um the the mantle from from the bottom of the crust down to the absolute core, we're pretty sure the absolute the, the core itself is divided into two parts. We think, we're pretty sure and the absolute core, right in the middle, is solid nickel iron, but around that it's it's liquid, and then and then around that is the mantle. So you've got the inner core which is solid, the outer core which is liquid, the mantle which actually is the bulk of the planet um, is is it's it's fluid, but it's not exactly liquid. It's what's called plastic, okay? It has a plastic flow. So think about um, Play-Doh, 
All right. Mm-hmm. If you hold up a piece of Play-Doh, or if you hold up a piece of of uh, what was it? Oh, oh, slime. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it holds together, but if you hold it there long enough, it starts to kind of go. Yep. Okay. Kind it slides of right down off your hand. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not like it's you know liquid like water, but it will still flow. And that's simply because it is so blasted hot. I mean, you're you're looking at temperatures in the thousands of degrees. So so the mantle flows, and you've got you've got the very very hot core because that's where the the bulk of the really heavy metals ended up, and so the bulk of the really heavy metals also have a tendency to be radioactive. And radioactivity generates heat, and so the core is hot, and so it keeps everything around it pretty hot. So now you've got hot spots forming, and so hot liquid wants to rise, so mm-hmm. and then cool liquid wants to sink. So now you've got convection currents setting up in in the mantle, and so it, it, it's these convection currents that. Granted, they're very, very slow moving. It's not like watching a pot of water boil. Um, but those convection currents carry along the crust like a conveyor belt. And so you wind up with the, the crust breaks up into pieces um, because you know, a piece corresponding to each convection cell and floats along on top of the convection cell. So they run into each other and Sometimes if they run into each other hard enough, they kind of stick a little bit, and you wind up with a supercontinent forming. But then the supercontinent, it, it basically insulates that that hot material underneath, and you start developing a new hot spot. So now the new hot spot wants to force its way up underneath your, your big, your supercontinent, and it starts to break it up. And so now you've got not flowing flowing properly, the, the convection is, and so it starts carrying away these newly broken up pieces and carrying them elsewhere on the planet. So this is this is the gist of plate tectonics. This is fascinating. <laughs> I, I love yes. it. I love it when you come and teach me things. Because I, I love studied... learning. I love learning well, it. I love studying it. This is this I, is I learned it in high school, and it made no sense. You make it sound simple as falling off of a log. <laughs> well, you know, I've I've studied it a lot. I I have been told I have some gift at teaching, so you know, I I, I and I have honed it talking to people and giving talks and giving lectures and going to science fiction conventions or or library talks or whatever and and talking about this. To people who are not scientists, see this is this is part of the problem. Um, scientists are not, in general, are not used to talking to non-scientists. Right. Teachers are usually not scientists, so they don't have the kind of knowledge. I'm and I'm not downing teachers at all. You know, teachers uh, teachers do do great jobs, but in general, you know. If you're becoming a teacher, you're getting a degree in education, not in science. True. Very and true. A, that, and that makes a difference. 
And they only get to touch the surface because they have to move on to other things because their time is limited, whereas scientists can spend their entire life studying this. Bingo. That's it exactly. But like I said, the majority of scientists don't talk about it to non-scientists, and so they never learn how to talk about it to non-scientists in a way that, makes it make sense to the non-scientist. Well, it just it amazes it amazes me that the earth what we see every day, the trees, the flowers, the rocks, the hills, the mountains, the water, it's like a duck on water. The the top very calm, but underneath we're paddling like hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the thing to realize is that the crust, by comparison with the depth of the rest of it, the crust is is like the skim on the surface. The crust is not thick. I know, and this is what people don't understand. The crust, it, it's it's like a thin layer of bacon grease on top of a pot roast that's set in the refrigerator in a pot. Yeah. So I'm I'm doing a quick uh, re- refresh of man of memory here. So hang on a minute. This is just amazing, uh, so, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. This is why we do this show. So you're looking at uh, the oceanic crust is actually the thinnest. Um, it's about three to five miles thick. Uh, continents with their mountains and stuff can get up to about 25 miles thick. The mantle, by comparison, is about 1,800 miles thick. Oh, my goodness. And it's about 84% of Earth's total volume, according to the National Geographic Society. So at any given moment, if the mantle got its knickers in a twist, it could just push itself <laughs> right on up through the crust and say, I'm here, suckers. Well, and that's exactly what happens in Hawaii. That's exactly what happens in uh, in in Yellowstone. And they, they, they are being fed by what are called mantle plumes, hot spots that move up from the depth of the mantle um, and actually punch through Earth's crust. Can you imagine? Now, I go. Let's go back to Vesuvius and Pompeii. Okay. Can you imagine the people of that time who were most of them were very well educated for their time, but they believed in the gods. And to see this huge volcano get all upset and start spewing ash and rock and fire and brimstone and lava. And it just completely in no time utterly wiped out an island. And those people had nowhere to go and they didn't understand what was going on. Pompeii, Vesuvius is not on an island, dear. Oh, it isn't? It, no, it's not. It's on. It's on the main peninsula of Italy, and it well, is. I sit correctly. And it is part and par- parcel of the Campi Flegrei supervolcano. 
And I, for all these years, I thought it was in an island because those people could not get away. No, there just was nowhere to go fast enough. Wow. See, I learn something new every day. Thank you for correcting me on that. And and, and as of about five, <clears throat> five to eight years ago, there is some evidence that, that the people that died in Pompeii, Herculaneum, and about half a dozen other small towns and villages in the area uh, actually may not, you know, the the general consensus was that they suffocated in the ash. Mm-hmm. Um, it It may not have been. They may have died in the pyroclastic um, flow. They may have uh, flash cooked, basically. Wow. Wouldn't that be fun to go and, and do a dig there? I know they probably dug it to death, but just to go and and learn things because... You know, our, to be honest, this is one that I don't think I'd want to go to. Really? Yeah, because you find the people, they're, they're, it's not really them. It's it's a cast of their bodies. Right. It it is deep. They are detailed enough to read their expressions. And, and the expressions are horror. Yes, and pain and fear and. And and there are thousands of them, and so I, I actually don't think I would want to go there and 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 dig. No. I might I might want to go and study the volcanoes. Um, yes, kitten. Yes, we hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I don't think I would want to do an. I don't think I would want to be part of the archaeological expedition. Interesting. Because 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 I think it would haunt me. I I I have a a tendency to um to empathize for people. Mhm. And and so I I think that I would I would look at I would look at that cast of the body that I had just dug up and I would look at the expression and I would think what went through his or her mind in their last last seconds of life. And I don't think I could handle that. That that I don't know why that particular volcano has always intrigued me. That particular time in history ever since I was a little girl intrigued me and we've had how many volcanoes erupt but none of them have resonated like that one. Well, see I, I read all kinds of stuff when I was a kid and, and pretty much have ever since. Um, but there were others, uh, what was, uh, uh, there was a volcano in the Caribbean. This is why we do the show, ladies and gentlemen. I love it when Stephanie comes on here. I could just sit and listen to her talk all night long. She just teaches me so much. And yet we I, talked about her books, but now we're getting a history lesson. I love it. A geology lesson, a science lesson. Um, I think it was Mount Pele. That name um, rings a bell. Huh? That name does ring a bell. 
Yeah, it's on the island of Martinique in the Caribbean. Um, the 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 Caribbean, most of the Caribbean islands, you uh, there those are they're volcanic in nature, and they fall. And now that's your your little fur purse. Yeah. Uh, and they tend to follow uh, the contours of smaller plate boundaries that are found between the North and South American plate. And um, in 1902, Pele erupted, and it generated something called a pyroclastic flow. Now, a pyroclastic flow is basically, it's a fluid flow, but it's not liquid. It consists of mostly uh, superheated gases, um, which are often dense enough to flow downhill um, because it's not necessarily ordinary atmospheric gases. It's the superheated volcanic gases that come out and it's capable of carrying along ash and rocks and boulders and, you know, just and, – and some of it is still semi-molten. It's all um, just incredibly hot. It's literally red hot. So if you look at videos of certain volcanoes erupting, um, the, the Anak Krakatau eruption that's been going on, in the South Pacific, if you get an image, video image of that at night, and you see it's throwing out all this red stuff that is then landing on the slopes and run, overflowing the the crater and running down the slopes, that's not lava. That's superheated gas. That's a pyroclastic flow. Wow. Yeah. Now, the stuff that's getting kicked up into the air, those are lava bombs, yes. Mm-hmm. It's overflowing and running down the side are pyroclastic flows. And it, that will be superheated gas, um, hundreds of thousands of degrees, carrying along ash and rock and lava bombs and boulders and, and anything. It's kind of, kind of an avalanche, kind of not. And it will flow at incredible rates of speed. Um, the Mount Pele eruption generated a pyroclastic flow, um, and that thing tops miles an hour. So you'd be hard-pressed to outrun it in a car. Yeah. Um, it... Oh, it, it the 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 particular one I'm thinking about. I'm not sure it was it was in 1902. It might, I think it was in the 1800s. But anyway, there was one in particular that actually overran a town. The pyroclastic flow overran a town and actually flowed out. <clears throat> it was heavier than air, but lighter than water. So it actually flowed out all over the harbor and burned all the ships down to the waterline. The only survivor was one poor guy who had gotten arrested the night before and thrown into the dungeon. <laughs> That's amazing. You're not well, going to believe it. Well, Stephanie, will you come back? Oh, absolutely. If you want me back, I'll come back. 
Because no, we're I'm almost out of to you. We are almost out of time. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not through yet. <laughs> and we didn't I, get to I, talk about about the the horror book or anything. <laughs> no, and I wanted to talk about the horror book. I'm going to bring you back next month. Okay. Because I, it, I love having you on this show, and but besides your books, just sitting here, I could just sit and listen to hear, listen to you all night long. You just you teach me so much every time I bring you on the show. Well, you know, I take all this science background and I filter it down and I put it in my books. So, I know, and I love it. But I, I try to make sure that I do it in such a way that I'm not dumping science on you and I'm not, you know, talking over your head or I'm not talking down to you. It just kind of, I want it to just flow into the 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 book, you know. It just, it's woven through the book. So you, you learn to, now, I do play games, you know, if I've got a, a, situation where I've got to get from this side of the galaxy to the other. I I I do I do play a few tricks in that, in that. I assume that certain theoretical capabilities exist such as mm-hmm. the Alcubierre warp drive, which is an actual theory. It's an actual scientific theory. It's just we don't know how to do it. But you made but it I, you made it work. <laughs> yeah, I assume that somebody in the galaxy learned how to do it. And made it work, and now everybody has warp drive. Well, real quick, my beautiful, beautiful friend, before we completely run out of time, will you tell the folks where they can reach you, reach your books, and find you on Facebook so you can get all kinds of new fans? Sure. Uh, You can find my website at www.stephanie-osborne.com. You can find me on most social media. Uh, uh, as Stephanie Osborne, that's O S B O R N, as as few letters as possible. Um, I do have a fan page on Facebook. My regular account is novelist.stephanie.osborne. Um, I do have a fan group on Facebook, and that is called uh, called here something pop. Stephanie Osborne. Osborne's official fan club. It was started by by my fans, for my fans. Um, find my books um, available for Kindle on Amazon. I have an Amazon author page. You can find them available for Nook on BarnesNoble.com or BN.com. You can find them in print at both places and many other places. So you can um, just find her everywhere. I do Yeah, and she's marvelous. I absolutely love her. And we are down to the last 45 seconds. So I'm going to say join us again tomorrow night with author. Um, there, we have a new author coming on tomorrow night, Lark Griffin. And I want to thank Stephanie once again. Yes, I will bring her back next month for joining me and teaching me. And I just love listening to her. So real quick, I want to thank her again. Stephanie, stay online when we go dark. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful author, Stephanie Osborne. Go check her out. I'm telling you, check her out. 
We will see you again tomorrow night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on Off the Chain with me, your host, Yvonne Mason. Until then, good night. We're off the air, so what I'll do when we hang up here in this thing archives, I'll tag you in the link when I put it up on the page and then tomorrow when I put it up on the other pages. Okay, that sounds good. So, I mean, did, I, I looked up, we were, Dower was gone. I looked up and it was completely gone. <laughs> um, the only, uh, let's see, the only day next month, the only Friday next month that I cannot do uh, will be the 15th. Okay, well, I'm going to be out of town that, that, that weekend anyway, so that'll be good. Okay. okay. So, so I, and Friday nights are good for you? Friday nights are good, yeah. Okay. Because we didn't get to talk about the horror novella. We didn't get to talk about the poetry book I pulled up. We didn't get to talk about the children's books that your husband did the illustrations on. We got off on fault lines and earthquakes and crust and Mandela's and spewing volcanoes and new continents. And I love it. If it sells some of my books, I'm good with that. Absolutely. I mean, just... I'm just sitting here enthralled, and I look up, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, we got four minutes left before they kick us off. <laughs> uh-huh. It went by real fast. It's it's a pity that you can't vary the length. I can't. You, know, like, you want to go, you wanna go an hour and a half the next time? Yeah. For, okay, for, we'll do it now. You can do that? Yeah, I can do that. We can do an hour and a half if you want to. We'll do 90 minutes. Go. It seems like we always run out of time at the, you know, at, at one hour. So if we do maybe like an hour and a half, two hours, we ought to be able to fit everything in that way. Surely we can. We can do that. Not a problem. Okay. When I send you the date, remind me that we're going to bump you up. Okay. We'll go an hour and a half. We'll go two hours. Whatever you want to do. We'll just have a gay old time. Okay. This sounds good. All right, my darling. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Well, thank you for having me back. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm always thrilled to come on your show. You and I have a lot of fun yakking. So yes, we do. We I got to get over to Huntsville. It's been years since I've been to Huntsville. I got to get over there. Well, when you do, it. when you do, let me know, and I'll, we'll meet for for a meal or coffee or something, whatever you have time for. Oh, I'll make time for you, my love. Okay. I make I make all kinds of time for you because my thirst for knowledge and the things that you can teach me, just I'm sitting here drooling because I, I just learned so much tonight, and I just appreciate it so much. Well, you know, we have this U.S. Space and Rocket Center here, which is actually affiliated with the Smithsonian. Have you yes. ever been, have you ever no. been to it? No. Okay. Um, I tell people, if you go to the Space and Rocket Center and you want your own personal tour guide to explain stuff, all you have to do is buy me the tickets that you, you that you're getting that you want me to talk to, and they also they they do a tour of the Marshall Space Flight Center. So if you want me along on the tour, you know. Uh, just Sweet. wherever you want me, get me a ticket, and I'll be happy to tag along and tell you. Just you can pick my brain. 
Oh, that would be so. And see, you need to come to the Kennedy Space Center up in Coco. I have been there. I have to. You have to come and spend some days, and I get you a ticket, and we'll go there because I've never been to that one either, and I'm an hour and a half south of there. Okay. Um, Wouldn't that be fun? Yep. I've I've been there. It's been years since I've been there, but I originally the first time we went to Disney. Um. Well, we we it wasn't just Disney. We did Orlando, um, which at that time. I don't even think they had the studios open. I think I don't, and they, and I know they didn't have Animal Kingdom. They just had the Magic Kingdom and Epcot. So we also did like Sea World and and a couple other things, and we went over to um, to the Cape. There was supposed to have been a launch while we were there, and I actually had um, I was working the program at the time, and so I had connections and I was going to go they were going to give us a tour of the facilities and then we actually had VIP passes to watch the launch and of course something went wrong and they scrubbed the launch mm-hmm. <laughs> but we still got to go around you know they showed us around and then we stopped by the um, the the little the little museum thingy there which wasn't, as I recall, all that big at the time. So they've probably added to it since. Oh, I'm sure they have. And right next door is a fallen police museum. Oh. That's cool. fairly new, yeah. So, yeah, you would enjoy that, too. Yeah. All so, right, then. Yeah. If I, I will. I, I will. If I make it down there any time in the next few years, I'll let you know. Absolutely. And I'll meet you up there and get a room, and we'll have fun up there at the Cape. <laughs> okay. All right, my darling. I'm gonna let you go and spend the rest of the evening with your husband, and I will get you on the books, and we'll do hour and a half, two hours, whatever. It's your choice. You want to do two hours? We'll do two hours. Um. I wouldn't think we would need two hours so soon after a, a full one hour. But okay. We'll do an hour and a half. We'll do whatever. You think about it and you tell me. Because up well, until, up until the... What, let me know what you want to cover, and that will determine how long we we need to talk. <laughs> I want to cover everything. I'm piggish. Well, you might want to schedule <laughs> two hours. piggish. <laughs> We didn't get to talk about the detective series that you've added more to. We I mean, there's just so much that got away from us because we got as as we're wanting to do on this show took a detour down a different path, which was absolutely fascinating. Well, so who know, knows? We we just might have to schedule you once a month till we run out of things to talk about, which won't happen. Well, I'm getting ready to to come up with a new with a new talk. I just haven't decided whether I want it to be about asteroid impacts or mega tsunamis. Oh well, you could. We could try it out on this show both ways and see what you like the best. <laughs> well, actually, what I usually do is whichever one I do, I put together a talk, and then I premiere it at LibertyCon in Chattanooga during the summer. 
And then oh, I that's right. You're going to Liberty Con, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I go every year. Bless your heart. Well, go and have fun, and I will I will set you up for, for next month, and we'll just go from there and see what happens. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, my love. Thank you, hon. Talk to you later. All righty. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.